While you're turning there, I want to share with you something that really did happen. This is a true story. Because you're going to, when you hear it, you're going to think somebody made this up. Well, this actually happened. It was reported in uh, the Journal Register, the State Journal Register of Springfield, Illinois, years ago, and then carried in Parade Magazine back in December of 1995. I don't have the names because I don't have all the original stories. Names are not important. But two men working on a fishing boat. I don't know if there were others, but at least two on a fishing boat uh, off of uh, the, I guess you call it the west coast, northwest coast near Vancouver Island. Uh, their boat got into some rough seas, bad weather, and for some reason or other the boat began to sink. And these two men got into the same life raft and exited the boat knowing the boat was going to go down. To their dismay, they discovered the boat was still tied, their life raft was still tied to the boat that was sinking. And I do not understand why they didn't just untie the heavy nylon rope. Uh, I'm sure I just don't understand how those things are done and secured, but they had no way of getting free from the rope that they forgot to release before they got into the life raft. So they were literally attached to the sinking ship. And if the ship went down, it would pull them down, or at least pull them into the sea where they could not survive. Neither of these fishermen had a knife or any way to cut the rope. Now, I'll ask you, what would you do in that situation? <laughs> you have a suggestion? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't hear well enough to hear the suggestion, but he probably got it right. You're right, if you're thinking, they literally began to gnaw on the rope with their teeth. And it was a heavy nylon rope, difficult to, to bite through. And they took turns. One would gnaw on the rope for a while, the other one would then step in and gnaw on the rope for a while. And uh, eventually, after about an hour and just minutes before the ship they were attached to sank, they literally gnawed through the rope, and they were saved from drowning. That is an incredible story, but more importantly, it illustrates something, I think, that we need to kind of capture in our minds as we begin this morning. We've been talking about anxiety for a couple of messages, and we're coming back to that same topic this morning. Now, here's this thing. What would you do, I ask that question, what would you do if you were in that situation? Well, let's expand that. What should you do in any situation, any threatening situation, any potentially hazardous situation that you find yourself in at the present moment? Well, start chewing on the rope or whatever, whatever that rope is in your situation. Jesus himself said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6, verse 34. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And what Jesus is saying is, and what he was indicating there is, you got a problem today, be working on that problem. But don't be imagining a problem tomorrow that you don't have the facility to deal with because tomorrow's not here. 
Anxiety, if it's out of control, can paralyze us or causing us, cause us extreme emotional distress to the point that we just melt down. I suppose a lot of people faced with that situation of those two men in a boat would have just simply panicked. They wouldn't have been able to do anything or they would have sat there in, in total disarray, uh, resigning themselves to their fate. But due to their own effort, they survived. Now, Whatever rope you have to chew on today or tomorrow or whenever it occurs means that you don't know if you're going to be able to chew through it in time to really do anything. In fact, a lot of problems, a lot of things that cause us anxiety in life, we can't do a whole lot about. Some of it, it's it's not that it's difficult to do anything about. We just don't have the facility to do anything about it. We can't. Augustine, the, Augustine, the uh, church father, lives many, many hundreds of years ago, is famous for saying this, pray as though everything depends on God. Work as though everything depends on you. <coughs> well, that's good advice. The problem is, there's a whole lot of things in life that don't depend on us at all. We can't do anything about I don't know if these two men in that boat that day, so many years ago, were believers in Christ or had any sort of religious affiliations at all. I don't know what they were doing besides chewing on that rope. But I know what I would have been doing. I would have been praying while I was chewing. And I'd have been praying real hard while the other guy was chewing that he would get that job done. I think you would have been praying too. But in the mundane, every day of life, there's always challenges. There's always things we're concerned about, things that are occupying our mind, things that are worrying us. And they're a concern and they're there and, and we keep coming back to them in our mind and, and yet they're not anything so Drastic as, well, we might lose our life in the next few minutes. So we're not as inclined to pray and work at the same time. In fact, what we all too often do is forget to pray altogether. And when the anxieties uh, kind of come to the fore in our heart and mind, we just kind of dwell on them. We just kind of let, let them run wild in our thoughts. We let our anxieties consume us rather than dealing with them as we should. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us how we can deal with them, how we should deal with them. Those huge problems and those gnawing concerns, either way. When Paul wrote Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he's giving us... I, I, I forgot, guys, the, the, my remote didn't work in the first service. You're going to have to flip it for me. 
Thank you. He fixed it, baby, beforehand. Hopefully. Thank you. What we find here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is this. Overcoming anxiety depends on prayer. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing our part. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be gnawing on the ropes we have to deal with. But prayer, more than anything else, is our remedy for anxiety. Now, the question is, well, how is it that prayer alleviates anxiety? And I want to give you two reasons why it does and two ways in which it does, I guess you can call it, this morning. And the first one is this. Prayer gives us a positive alternative to being consumed by our anxieties. A positive alternative. Look at verse 6. Let let me start over again. Verse 6, Ephesians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a connection made in this verse between not being anxious and praying. He first says, be anxious for nothing. That's a present tense imperative. That's a command. It's not an option. It's a, it's a, what God tells us to do. Don't let anxiety consume you, overwhelm you. Don't let it rob you. Joy and peace. Now that's easily said and done. You ever been really concerned about something? You tell someone, they say, well, don't worry about that. Did that, did that work? <laughs> no. But here's something that does work. Here's a remedy from God that will help us understand just what we need to do and how we need to do it. So he says, stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop being consumed by all the what-ifs and maybes of life and all the bad things that could happen. Stop that. Be anxious for nothing. Don't let anything do that to you. But, Here's something you need to do. He's saying, stop worrying, stop being anxious, but here's something on the other hand to do. And that is this. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So prayer is a positive, active activity that we need to put in our lives to purposefully insert into our lives when we are afflicted with anxiety. It is a replacement, an active replacement for the troubling mindset that we're in. It is far easier to replace what's going on in our thoughts than it is to displace them or just say, put, oh, I just don't want to, I'm going to stop thinking about it. No, it's going to come back. You need to replace those negative, anxious thoughts with prayer. Prayer is an active thing, something you can do that will bring about a remedy to your anxiety, an active replacement. Now, we've all heard of post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Those that have been in battle 
warfare, often for years after suffer post-traumatic stress syndrome. It's very real, it's very devastating. Uh, I'm sure most of us have no real way to process that or understand what they go through. They cannot help that to some degree because of the trauma they face. But we can do something about the mental trauma that we deal with, which is self-imposed in our life. In fact, being overly anxious about tomorrow, to be worried about the future, is what I would refer to as pre-traumatic stress syndrome. And that's not something that we can't help. That's something we can't help. We are constructing in our mind scenarios that frighten us to death that could happen that may never happen. Tomorrow's trouble. Jesus said, let today's trouble be sufficient for the day. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's the answer. Here's the positive alternative. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. So what he's saying is simply this. Every concern that comes into your mind and mine, everything that is occupying our mind to the point that we are obsessing over it, worrying over it, anxious about it, everything, anything, no matter what it is, take it to God. Other than needlessly afflicting ourselves with it. Replace it. This uh, particular story comes from a book by William Marshall. Books entitled Eternity Shut in a Span. I don't know if it's really happened or not, but I'll give him credit. It may be true. The story goes this way. For several years, a woman had been having trouble getting to sleep at night because she was afraid of burglars. One night, her husband actually heard a noise in the house, so he went downstairs to investigate, and lo and behold, he happened upon a burglar in the house. Good evening, said the man of the house. I am pleased to see you. Please come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting to meet you for ten years now. It might be a real problem in 10 years, but in the meantime, it's not. And so the scripture says, in everything, by prayer and supplication. It might be today's trouble. It might be prayer you need to utter while you're gnawing on that rope of today. But even if tomorrow's concerns flood into your life, and sometimes we have reason to fear what might happen, We can see scenarios unfolding. We can see what's happening in the world around us. How this could happen, that could happen. But when we find ourselves dealing with, whether we find ourselves dealing with a problem today or or even a problem that could be, in everything, in every instance, go to God in prayer. Now he says this, he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let let your requests be being known. Why why did he say prayer and supplication? 
It, it, it almost seems like they, maybe these are just two ways of saying the same thing, but the words have different meanings. And we need to get a hold of what he's saying. The word translated prayers is a word in the, the Greek language that is used in the New Testament and, and elsewhere in literature that day to refer, refer to any prayer that is offered to God. It indicates that he is the source of, and he is the answer for our anxieties. It's a general description of prayer. I mean, sometimes we may not pray to God, we may ask someone else for help, and that's okay. But even if we do that, we should always understand God is our ultimate help. And we've got to go to Him. We've got to address Him with our situation. We've got to get on our knees before Him. Now, the second word, supplications, means specific requests. So, we, we go to God, we come to God, we bring our request to God. He is the source. And any time we pray, we are building His peace into our life. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, and this is the Lord's Prayer here. We looked at chapter 6 uh, later on in chapter 6 a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to take you back to the same chapter, but it's a little earlier. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord was teaching His disciples to pray. He said, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, you can't go to God in prayer without recognizing who He is. He's our Father. He cares about us. He can meet our needs. He will meet our needs. He's promised to do so. And He is... A holy God, a perfect God. You see, you see the praise of God and the recognition of God in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> even if you, even if you go to God in prayer and you, you haven't even come to even think about what are you going to ask for, as we communicate with God, we begin to build peace into our life as a replacement for anxiety. Because we recognize <laughs> He's, He's got the answers. He's not inhibited. He's not impotent. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He can handle our problems. And then, then we go to say verse 11 here in the same context, where Jesus said a little later in the Lord's Prayer, here, make this request. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, we could pretty much substitute anything. Give us this day whatever we need today. It may be food to eat. It may be clothes to wear. It may be health. It may be finances. It could be anything. Because in everything, we come to the feet of God with our prayers. But we have the privilege to come to Him and tell Him what we need and ask Him, our Heavenly Father, to do what we need to have done in our lives. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't need that information. He already knows what we need. He knows better than we know what we need. 
So what we learn from that, and what we understand here is that God who already knows our... By the way, you know, God has answered a whole lot of prayers I never uttered. And I think if you think about it, you can say, God's blessed me here, God's done this, and, and it's just what I needed. And I, I would say, oh boy, I wish this would happen. I need, but I didn't, I didn't even ask God for it. And look, there it is. God doesn't need us to tell him what to do. He loves us and understands our needs and wants to do what we need on a daily basis and will do so. He doesn't have, he's not a big, mean, heavenly father. He says, well, I, I know I can do something to help, but I'm not going to do a doggone thing till they get down on their knees and beg me to do it. That's not God's attitude. Now, given that, why are we told, why are we even told to let our requests be made known to God? Now, here's a, here's a, Here's a statement that you may never have thought about or considered before. But it cuts to the issue here. And it might shock you. Prayer is meant to benefit us. Rather than to convince God to do what we want. Now get, get your, get your mind around that. Because that's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 teach us. Oh, what a privilege it is to take him my request and oh, how relieved we are and how much peace comes when we do that. But you see, God already knew we needed that. God probably already in the process of doing that. Now look at this. Let's go a step further. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You know, I think it's entirely possible. In fact, it might be completely possible. I think this would be a fair statement. Either way. That when we are thankful, we are not anxious. When we are thankful, we're not worried out of our mind. Because you go to God in prayer, you cannot help but understanding who you're talking to, and you begin to thank Him for who He is and what He's done. And at any time we count our blessings, as the old song says, there is a benefit that comes to us. Because you're recognizing God's got it all under control. Look at all the times in our lives. Look at all the times and, and instances where He has stepped in. And to just be able to pray and pray with a thankful heart begins to chase out the anxiety. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Now that's, again, an imperative, a command. He didn't say, by the way, you know, it's going to be beneficial to you if you let your requests known because you know, it's good, good things are going to happen, so you ought to do it. He said, do it. 
That's how much he wants us to experience his peace and the relief from the anxiety that we struggle with on a daily basis. So, prayer not only is a replacement, a positive replacement for anxiety, prayer also brings us, secondly, unsurpassed peace. We've kind of hinted at that already, and I think you've noted it here if you've read on to verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So verse 7 is what happens if you do what you're told to do in verse 6. Verse 6 says, stop worrying, stop fretting, stop being anxious. Instead, replace that, start praying, start letting your requests be made known to God. And if you, you have to do both or it doesn't work, okay? (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. You have to pray for that first statement, that first command to become a reality. You do that, and what happens is, well, that's what he tells us in verse 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. So prayer brings us unsurpassed peace. God alone is the source of peace. It says the peace of God. That of there, that preposition, references the source of peace. Peace comes from God. doesn't come from anywhere else. It doesn't come from our circumstances because just wait a minute and your circumstances will go from good to bad. Okay? Peace will never come from your circumstances. Unless it's just for moments or for a short while. God is the source of peace. Now, Romans 5.1 says that because Christ died for us and we've been justified, we have the peace that we have. uh, In this sense, it says we have peace with God. Now, we all came into a position of being at peace with God when we were saved, when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, when we were born again. We're no longer enemies of God. We're God's children. We're at peace with God. But that doesn't mean we have the peace of God today in our life. That takes a disciplined prayer life. So it is the peace of God which we're looking for. That peace surpasses human understanding. It surpasses all understanding. It surpasses anything you can fathom with your mind. Over the years, I'll say I had the opportunity, it's not a privilege necessarily, but had the opportunity to sit with many folks who've just experienced a devastating loss in their life, someone they loved. And they are emotionally distraught. They are Grieving, and, and, and that's normal and, and rightfully so, and that's a process God will help us through. But I've also, in, in, in sitting and talking with many people over the years, I've heard this over and over and over from God's people, that in spite of all the pain, there's a peace God's given me in my heart. It is hard to understand. How is that possible? Which be, it's because they are in such distress and yet in their distress, in their pain, they're crying out to God. And when we let our requests be made known to God, 
when we need God's comfort and God's help, if that's our request, that peace that passes understanding will be present. It won't mean we'll have a smile on our face and you know, be jumping for joy and praising God in a moment. We're suffering on the one hand, but there's peace we can't even begin to fathom that exists with it. Peace that passes human understanding. Let's look at our verse again. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Let's talk about hearts and minds for a moment. Just like he talked about prayers and supplications, there's a distinction here. Hearts and minds, there's a distinction he wants us to see and understand. In other contexts, sometimes it's the hearts and my heart minds used interchangeably simply to refer to the in, inner person. And here, that's the way the word heart is used. When he says, God's peace will guard our hearts and minds, the word hearts references our immaterial part. We are more than flesh and bones and muscles and nerves and all that. That's physical. But there is something that separates us from the animals that God created. We are a living soul. We have, we are created in the image of God. And God is a spirit. So we, we have an eternal spirit. An immaterial part. That alone. It just, you know, there's, there's no way to really fathom it. It's just a reality. We know it's true. There's something about us as human beings that reflect God. Now, when we get anxious, you know, you, you, you might see yourself getting a little afraid. You ever get, you know, get so afraid you're trembling? That's your physical response to the internal turmoil. God wants us to have internal tranquility, peace. And we are often disturbed with all kinds of problems in life. And we can't just flip a switch in our minds and say, oh, I'm going to be at peace now. No. Only God can produce that. And the avenue to it is prayer. God wants us to have internal peace. Peace can exist even in the midst of pain. But he says, God will guard our hearts and mind. Now the word mind here, well, it references our thoughts, our perceptions. It is how we process mentally What is so concerning, yet understanding it is in the control of a sovereign God that we have access to. There's peace that, that comes to our heart that we can't understand or explain, but there is a mental clarity that comes to our minds to be able to get a grip on it and understand it in terms of who God is. And how that peace can come, and what we need to do, and how we should look at all that happens to us. 
and the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, that verb, will guard, a future tense verb, gives us the promise that God will guard our hearts with his peace today, but he'll do it tomorrow, and he'll do it all every day and all the days of our life. All we have to do is access it through prayer. But why does he say we'll guard our hearts? You know, in the military where you've got a platoon of soldiers or something like that, and they're, they're in enemy territory and they need to rest or sleep, what's the first thing they do? They establish a perimeter. They establish guards, basically. You've seen it in every old cowboy movie where, you know, they're, they're in Indian territory or whatever, you know, and there's three of them and, and two of them sleeps and one stands the first watch and then he, you know, goes, lays down on his saddle and somebody else guards. You know, it, it is that posting of a guard, that secure perimeter that allows a, those involved within the perimeter to be at peace enough to relax and rest. See, God says if we will come to him with our requests, he's going to put a perimeter around us. He's going to put a guard in place to protect us so that we are not constantly bombarded and irritated by thoughts we can't control and circumstances that are adverse. I don't know how he does it entirely. But he works in our hearts and our minds to grant us the peace that enables us to go forward and to endure. I've not been able to visit anyone in a hospital for over a year, and it's been one of the most disturbing things to me about this whole pandemic. For 40 plus years, I've always made it my top priority visiting for anybody that is in the hospital or sick or having a serious health problem. I suppose you could put some, a few other things up there in that first category as well, but certainly uh, that would be a top priority. So I've, I've made far, far more hospital visits than any other kind of visits. And far, far more hospital visits than I've counseled people or visited in their homes. It's such a big part of pastoral ministry, and it has been for me. And what you will find, I don't care who it is, when you're in the hospital, when you're facing an immediate problem, today's trouble, health concern, it's worrisome. it's, It's not just a physical problem, but it's an emotional Trauma. Knowing what you're dealing with in the physical. And I have so many, many times shared Philippians 4, 6, and 7 with hospital patients. And I trust that they have found some comfort and some instruction and help through that process. 
And I always emphasize this, you know, that if you let your requests be known, what you're dealing with right now, what's on your heart and mind, let it be known to God. He will guard your hearts and minds. He'll bring you the peace of God. And so very, very often, and it's funny how people when they're flat on the bed in the hospital can be so brutally honest. They may not ever say this otherwise. But it's a legitimate question. And so when I share this with them, I often get this question. But pastor, how often do we need to pray to get God's peace? It'd be great if you could just pray in the morning and be good for the day. Uh, uh, Doesn't work that way. My answer is always the same. You know, I don't know how long God's peace is going to come into your heart and mind, but as soon as you find it's not there, pray again. It might be five hours, it might be five minutes, I don't know. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't go through a single solitary day in my life that there's not something, more than one thing, that will afflict my mind at some point, or many, several points probably, usually and normally, in a day. And I've learned from Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that when that happens and when I find myself in that anxious state of mind, I pray. No, I don't get down on my knees wherever I'm at and look up to heaven and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, Creator of heaven and earth, thy good and gracious God. No, I'm not formal with God. When I find that thought in my mind, I go directly and straight to God with my request. Lord, please, this. It's not that I don't believe He would anyway, anyway but, but I know by my expressing the concerns of my heart, there's peace that will come as a result. And it does. And I might not have that same anxious thought for hours or maybe a day or maybe a week. Well, it'll be enough if the other ones come along. It's a, it's a repeated thing. Daily. This is what I think Paul meant when he said uh, that we ought to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5. It is God's remedy, God's antidote, God's solution. And that peace will be real. How long will it last? I don't know. That's going to depend. But it doesn't really matter because the next time I deal with it, I can pray again. Well, I don't know what we are. I think I went backwards, lost something there, which is where we're supposed to be. <clears throat> Prayer is an is a positive replacement for anxiety. And as we pray, it will bring us unsurpassed peace. It didn't say it doesn't say permanent lasting peace without interruption, but it'll be unsurpassed in its peaceful, calm effect on our heart and mind. 
So let me conclude this way. What did you do? This is a serious question. I want you to really really think about this. What did you do the last time anxiety or worry cropped up in your life? Now, that might have been today already. might have been yesterday. I don't know. But what did you do the last time anxiety, worry, whatever you want to call it, cropped up? You see, I think all too often we do what I mentioned way back in the introduction of the message. It's not sudden death staring us in the face. It's just kind of a concern, a little worry. We don't even think about prayer. So we just kind of let it roll around in our mind. The first thing, it just gets bigger. It's like a snowball. Now, I think every one of us have anxieties and worries. But I understand, and I know this from practical experience, some people wrestle with this problem far more than others. And some of those folks that don't wrestle with it all that much think there's something wrong with those who do. But the truth of the matter is, they have the same problems, just not the same magnitude maybe or as often. So we can all answer this question. What did you do the last time anxiety intruded upon your life, in your thoughts? Did you just give in to it? Did you just let it kind of ferment there and grow and expand? Until maybe something by chance distracted you? You ever do that to kids? They're all upset about something, you know, they fall on skin their knees, so you distract them with an ice cream cone, you know. That doesn't work very well. It helps kids a little bit. Especially if there's not any real pain there, and they just kind of have got it imagined. Might be a little helpful. But that's not the replacement. What distracts us, or what will occupy our mind, might be of some little help. But what really is the replacement... What really will chase away the anxiety is prayer. So here's the second question you can add to it. The first one was, what did you do the last time worry cropped up in your life? The second question is akin to it. Did you pray about it or just fret about it? And if your answer is, well, I guess I fretted about it and you're missing the peace of God. 